0: Heroes get remembered. Here's the windup. Legends never die. hit. the right. That could be it. Way back there. Oh! oh. Welcome to Hardball.
1: Today, I consider, I,
0: consider I consider myself the luckiest, luckiest
1: man, man, man on, the on the face of the earth. Major League Baseball's history in first person. Conversations that span almost 20 years. It is 9 46 PM with the men who saw and made that history. Andy into his wind-up. Here's the pitch. Many of whom are no longer with us. Smart
0: on in this the perfect game.
1: Stories from the 1930s. Back to the ball goes right. It is Hold on. Hold on. the To the 21st century. At- This
0: is Hardball. Dad, you want to have a catch?
1: Al Kaline has been in Major League Baseball for eight decades, and today you will hear his story. I caught up with Mr. Kaline a couple of years ago, the 84-year-old still sharp, vibrant, humble. i had met him a few times in Lakeland, Florida, the longtime spring training home of the Detroit Tigers. I had witnessed firsthand the multi-generations of fans paying their respects to the man every bit as much as the career. Grandfathers telling their grandchildren who that is and why he was so important to so many. I once had the pleasure of sitting with him for six innings for one of those spring training games, and how that led to the first time I had him on as a guest of the old hardball back in 2002. This follow-up was a no-brainer. We begin with how it all started, how his 14-year-old self learned the game from playing with men, how when the scouts came around, his father, a man whose formal education did not include a high school diploma, became the smartest man in the land, and how money, money his family never had, was never going to be the driving force behind the beginning of his career. How at 18, he found himself days after graduating high school in Philadelphia, getting ready to make his major league debut, the beginning of what would be a 22-year career, a first ballot Hall of Fame career. You'll hear about the numbers, the hits, the home runs, the gold gloves, but more importantly, you will hear about how the game has changed from a man who in those eight decades has had a front row seat. Everything from batting practice to the embarrassment of striking out 100 times by the way, he never had more than 66 in his prime. One-year contracts and how minor league teams, how many there actually used to be. In 1955, he became the youngest ever-winning to batting title in Major League Baseball history. And on July 12th of that year in Milwaukee, he found himself on an American League All-Star team roaming the outfield with a couple of guys named Ted Williams and Mickey Mantle. And oh, there's Whitey Ford and Yogi Berra, an early win. The National League side... Well, there's Ernie Banks and Stan Usual and Willie Mays and Hank Aaron and Robin Roberts and Don Newcomb. It was the first of 18 All-Star games, and we'll talk about the significance of 3,000 hits. He was 12th all-time, by the way, when he retired, finishing his career with 399 home runs and how meaningful the first of his 10 gold gloves were, how the moniker Mr. Tiger came about. He will tell you who the greatest player he has ever seen was. He thought of 50 years ago, and this many years later, he had not changed his mind. How he ended up wearing the now retired number six. Little known fact, it's not the number he started his career with. His entry into baseball's Hall of Fame in 1980, and why the following year was even better, and why going back to Cooperstown every summer has always been important to him. And most importantly, we will talk about what winning that one World Series in 1968 means to him to this day. Grace, class, Al Kaline.
0: Ted Williams once told me that you're a cinch eventually to hit over 400 in this season. Well, it's. If Ted uh, can say anything like that, uh, it's a great honor. There she goes! No doubt about it! Al Kaline, run! Right. Hit number 3000 in his fabulous career of 22 years. A never hit! One run is in, another man's gonna score. And it's 10 to nothing, and the strikes. About to send the World Series into the decisive seventh game tomorrow. Al Kaline's the best ball player I've seen in a Tiger uniform. I was fortunate enough to spend my entire 22 years in a Tiger uniform. By far, being inducted into the Hall of Fame is the proudest moment of my life.
1: Boy, what an honor and a pleasure to actually be joined by another Hall of Famer, um, Al Kaline. Certainly Tiger fans know, and certainly baseball fans throughout the 50s, 60s, into the early 70s know the name. And why he was so easily elected into baseball's Hall of Fame. He does join us this morning, Mr. Kaline, We appreciate the time. How are you doing today, sir?
0: I'm doing wonderful. Thank you very much for having me on. Well,
1: thank you. Is it as amazing to you as it seems to be to me that it's the 50th anniversary of that 1968 World Series?
0: <laughs> yeah, it does seem. It doesn't seem that long ago, you know. But uh, yeah, 50 years is an awful, awful long time. But uh, it was a. Uh, certainly a great year for the Detroit Tigers and the Tiger fans. Yeah
1: and the nickname Mr. Tiger, um I'm not sure who actually who actually gave you that nickname. Do you remember the first time somebody actually put that on you?
0: Well there was a uh a uh a radio announcer who had a morning show was he was a very popular uh JP McCarthy and uh he he was the one that named uh Gordy Howe, Mr. Hockey, and then he came up with uh, Mr. Tiger, and uh, you know it's 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 pretty hard for me to uh, to handle that because so many great players have played for the Detroit Tigers. I mean, I'm going back to Ty Cobb, Charlie Geringer, uh Hank Greenberg, but uh, I, I was very honored to be uh, to be called that.
1: Well, I do know I've been down in Lakeland uh, often enough to see how you're revered. By Tigers fans, both young and old, there. And I, and I think it's certainly warranted. And I know you've worn it with pride for all these years. What's really interesting is, though, Stan Usual told me many, many years ago that he was actually looked at and signed as a pitcher. Then he gets hurt, and all of a sudden he's Stan Usual. Well, I can hit. <laughs> and he becomes Stan Usual. Did, did you have an aspiration as well to be a pitcher?
0: Oh no, no I you know I, most most good athletes so when they were in amateur ball, pitched a little bit, maybe a little bit in high school, but no uh, I knew that I wanted to be a a uh, a player that played uh full time and uh, that's that's what I put all my efforts into was was being the best player i could be
1: and and do you remember the first time somebody either came to a high school game or a semi pro game and the possibility of maybe taking it to the next level actually existed?
0: Well, you know, I knew that there were a lot of scouts that were, was watching the games and uh, my dad used to drive me to, uh, to the ball games a lot because uh, I lived in the inner city and we didn't have baseball fields close by. So I had to get a, get a ride to uh, all my, uh, my uh, uh, playing and, uh but I knew there was a lot of scouts that were talking to my dad. They couldn't talk to me, but they could. Mm-hmm. They were talking to my dad, and um, yeah, I knew that there was a lot of interest in me uh, signing a professional contract.
1: How many teams ended up either at the kitchen table or or, or someplace with your dad?
0: Well, back when I when I signed, uh, if you got more than uh, uh, six thousand dollars you had to stay in the big leagues two years. And uh that's I had three teams that were offering me more than six thousand dollars and uh uh and uh, I decided to uh uh sign with Detroit instead of the other two teams and uh and the reason I signed with Detroit I had no no other reason other than the fact that Detroit was in last place. And uh, I might get a chance to play instead of sitting on a bench for two years in a row. So it all worked out exactly how my dad planned it. And uh, he said that you uh, you you play you sign with Detroit because you might get a chance to play. Mm-hmm. And that's what happened.
1: And, and you're 18 years old. You know, the, the expression bonus baby is one certainly that had been used and has been used when describing before pre-draft how the whole system actually worked. But you're 18 years old and... and well, you might have played some ball with older people, the idea that, that being a professional, I mean, I don't know how heavy that weighed on you, or did you think you were kind of ready? Did you just look at it as it's just baseball with with older, better players? What, what was the mindset going in?
0: Well, first of all, I played three years of semi-pro when I was 14 years old, playing against former players who had been signed and uh, and got released, but came back and and started playing uh, and getting paid by uh, a, a company to play for him on the weekends. And uh, so that's where I really learned how to play play the game. You know, I was always the better player in high school. But then when I, when I was playing against some guys that were 28, 29, 30 years old that had already been away for a year or two years and got released, uh, so that's that's where I really learned uh, learned how to play the game of baseball.
1: And because of that signing over six thousand dollars, as you said, you're you're part of the Tigers. Uh, first time you actually laid eyes on not only Tiger Stadium, but first time you ever laid eyes on the process. Whether it was BP and and how, <laughs> while the game was still sixty feet, <laughs> six inches, and ninety feet, boy, it's it's a lot different, really.
0: Well, it was, it was a lot different then because I joined the ball club in Philadelphia. It was the Philadelphia Athletics. And uh I got to the I got to the ballpark and went out and then the manager says, uh, well you go go stand up by the uh batting cage and they'll tell you uh when when to go in and take your seven swings and of course uh pitchers threw batting practice back in those days. So uh sure enough when one one big guy came in who was wild and then that's when the, all the guys said, "Okay, kid, you can hit now." <laughs> and, uh, and so the, the, we, did, we, you know, we didn't have batting cages and, and stuff like that where you could take extra hitting. Mm-hmm. All you did was uh, get five, uh, maybe maybe seven swings and, and a couple bunts, and that was your batting practice for the day. And, uh, and it was against. We didn't have batting practice pitchers, and the coaches didn't throw batting practice. It was the pitchers that threw threw batting practice.
1: Well, for those who don't know, you still work for the Tigers, so you have literally seen changes for over 60 years uh, in the game of baseball. I mean, it's really incredible. The things that we sort of can laugh a little bit about now, people who aren't of the right age have no idea what staffs were, uh, how few people were around. The idea that there was nothing like BP or batting cages the way that we know it today, it's... I mean, you've literally lived through, uh, decades upon decades of changes in the game.
0: Well, the, it is a completely different game today than, than when, when I played and before me, uh, first of all, and foremost, uh, the batting, the batting, uh, zone is much smaller now than it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, it used to be shoulders to the knees and now it's just, uh, above the belt and to the knees and, uh, And to the, to the players credit today, they're only playing by the rules and uh, I get a little very, in fact, I get very upset when, uh, when they start comparing these great players today with great players of yesteryear. Uh, it's, it's a different ball game today and it's, it, it would be great to be a, a good hitter in today's game because of the small strike zone and everybody's trying to hit home runs.
1: I know you might be too modest, but let me ask you this: If you drove to the ballpark every day, knowing that today's strike zone was in play, I, I'm assuming you would have feasted.
0: Well, I would. I would like to be able to hit today. I'm not saying that I would be a great home run hitter because I was only, I was very thin. I wasn't very strong, and uh, but but I was very athletic, and uh, I used the whole field. But. It, it's awful nice to know that you can look in a certain area and uh, and that's where the ball is going to going to be. I know, I know the pitchers today are much better than what they were uh, years and years and years ago, but they they all can't make perfect pitches all the time, and uh, they're going to make uh, make mistakes and throw the ball somewhere in the middle middle of the plate, and that's why uh, there are so many home runs hit today. And the other thing is that uh, it's not embarrassing to strike out 140 times a year. Right. It, was, it was totally embarrassing for anybody to strike out 100 times uh, back when we played.
1: And, and when you say embarrassing, we're not just – I mean, it's beyond embarrassing. That, they hung that over your head. When you're working on one-year contracts, all of a sudden they're calling into question, I guess, your wink-wink overall ability, how could you strike out 100 times? And I agree with you. It's 100 you get a guy who only strikes out a hundred times who's actually putting a ball in play and hitting home runs. That, that guy's worth tens of millions of dollars today.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, that's another thing, but uh <laughs> yeah, you know what uh, everybody everybody had you know you try to get on base for your teammates and you try to keep keep the uh the game moving and uh and, and now it, it seems like uh, you know I, I don't know whether this is uh, is probably not true, but it seems like everybody's out for themselves. I mean, it seems like they all they want to do is hit home runs and make a lot of money. And uh, uh, back in our day, uh, every, everybody wanted to stay in the big leagues because, uh, you know, minimum salary back when I started was $6,000. And, and there, there are only a few players in history ever make $100,000. And uh, But that was a lot of money back then. And, I, and I'm, I'm not complaining about the players making a lot of money. It's just the fact that uh, it seems like that's all they that's all they want to do is uh, uh, hit home runs and and, uh, and and big get big contracts and 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 break all break all the, the records for who makes the most money and uh, and I worry about the game uh, the fact that these guys are making so much money I don't know how how the fans can continue to come to the ballpark and 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 the money keep going up. Uh, for, for tickets to get, get to watch a game. Well, I'm glad
1: you're still in the game of baseball to actually know these things and say them out loud. Can I, AJ Ellis is a, is a catcher uh, in the majors. He's been around for a long time. Can I tell you what he told me two years ago about how the game has changed? Even since he's been in, it, no. certainly, he had a line to me and I use it a lot. I try to describe the game and I give him credit for it. He said, Chris, let me tell you what's happening. It used to be two swings for me and one for the team. And he said, that's his mentality. And he said he knew before that, it wasn't that. But in his day when he first came up, it was two swings for them, one for me. He said, Chris, I'm telling you, I'm behind home plate. It's three for me. He said, that is the game in a nutshell. There's not a swing taken for the team. It's a three for me mentality now more than it ever has been.
0: Well, it seems like that. And uh, I don't know whether that is true or not. But certainly I I know there are some players that think about the team first and and everything like that. But again, the the money is so spectacular that everybody's trying to have that big year so mm-hmm. they can sign a multi-year contract. You know, we didn't sign multi-year contracts back. We had to make the team every year. And uh, and uh, and you had, to, you had to play well to keep your job because everybody – we had so many minor league systems back in the day, maybe 15, 20 minor league clubs, and everybody's trying to make the major league. So you, you couldn't uh, – you, you had to be on, on, your, on the go all the time because uh, there was somebody trying to take your job away.
1: Carl Erskine told me that when he came – when he was pitching for the Dodgers, he said there were 26 teams, 26 teams. And, and look, they were signing guys every day. Today it's the draft with 50 rounds. He said, but they were signing guys every day to take your job. And, and he also mentioned as a pitcher, and I'm sure it was the same way for you as a player, don't let them know you're hurt. Whatever you do, do not oh, let them yeah. know you were hurt.
0: Oh, no. You never went into the never went into the trainer's room. In fact, uh, there was one time I went into the trainer's room and uh, had to get my leg rubbed a little bit, and he hurt me so bad, he said, don't you ever come back in here again.
1: Oh. oh, the game has changed. When you were 18, was there anybody who sort of looked out for you a little bit? Was there anybody either on the team or anybody – uh, on the staff who, who sort of realized what this is. It's an 18-year-old guy. Let's make sure that we, we at least, you know, we know he can play. We don't know what he's going to be able to do for us. But was there anybody who sort of looked well, out for you?
0: Well, no, no, because I, I was I was the youngest, by far the youngest guy on a team. But we did have a, a guy named Harvey Keene who had went to college and was uh, 20, 22 years old. Uh, so, uh but you know, back in those days, uh, the older guys didn't appreciate some young kid coming right out of high school and uh, taking a, a guy's job that had maybe spent years and years and years in the minor leagues, and now you got an 18-year-old kid coming out of high school. And uh, I was not, I was not well liked by the players uh, first couple couple months because then. When I when I went to the ballpark uh, early I threw batting practice to a lot of the old guys because I knew I wasn't playing and they sort of got a liking to me and they, they saw where I could play the outfield better than anybody they had. And it's just a matter of whether I was ever gonna hit enough and uh but but they, they really appreciate the fact that I I, get, I got out there early, I threw batting practice for to them and uh they sort of took me under their wing especially a guy named Ray Boone, a guy named Steve Gromek, uh, and, and a guy named Ted Gray. Uh, older guys on the Tiger Club sort of sort of took me under their wing and, and helped me out quite a bit.
1: There are a couple of pictures, are there not, of you wearing the number 25? I'm assuming that's your first year.
0: Yes, I wore number 25 my first year. And then my favorite player was uh, Stan Musial. And, uh, and when, uh, one of the number six became available, I went to the front office and said, is there any way I could wear number six? Because I loved, uh, Stan Musial and, and I, I try to model myself after him, although I'd, I, certainly didn't make it, but I, I try to model myself after him, the way he played the game and the way he handled himself off the field. So, uh, they, they said, okay, you can wear number six.
1: Well, and and you mentioned you had to prove to your teammates, you know, you knew you could play the outfield. They knew that, but could you hit? Well, I guess at age twenty, you showed them because no twenty-year-old has ever led the league in in hitting, and and you throw up a three forty that year.
0: Yeah, well, I, I know that the year before that, I got in a lot. I, I was a, a regular outfielder. I only hit two seventy-six when I was nineteen, but I was only thin, and then I I went back to Baltimore and got married to my high school sweetheart. And we're still married, sixty-three years later. Congratulations! So, uh, yeah, and uh, so uh, then the following year, I went out, got a chance to to be the regular again, and uh, got bigger and stronger, and uh, got off to a great start. And yeah, I, I led the league in hitting that year. But uh, again, it was it was very difficult and very hard. And uh, but that's it's what I wanted to do, and uh, it didn't matter to me. Uh, how well I did. I just love putting that uniform on and playing the game of baseball.
1: When you're 18, 19, 20 years old and you're going into Fenway Park or you're going into Yankee Stadium and you're seeing up close probably, I don't know how much TV you might have had access to before you actually hit the big leagues. But, hey, there's Ted Williams and there's Yogi Berra and there's, uh, well, there's, that's Mickey Mantle. I heard a lot about him. I mean, what, how, how heady uh, is that for, a, for an 18, 19, 20-year-old?
0: Well, you know, yeah, you, 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 I didn't. We didn't have a television set at home. Uh, my mom and dad both worked. My mo- mother's sc- scrub floors for a living, and my my dad was a broom maker, and uh, we didn't have a television set. But uh, at, at school, uh, the teachers all realized I, I wanted to be a baseball player. So when the World Series was on. They let me monitor and, and take care of the, the television. And uh, so I watched the games on on TV. And uh, certainly the names like Mano and Williams and Imusual and, and guys like that that, uh, that that were the stars back then I really looked up to and, uh, and I, I wanted to learn as much as I possibly could.
1: When you come from a family, uh, and I think I'd read this about you uh, and your family as well, uh, there wasn't a whole bunch of education, you know, before you. Uh, and I, I don't know, I find it really amazing. You carry yourself so well, and I'm not sure what the younger version, but having spoken with you and, and having watched you over the years, it, it's an, also a different situation in baseball because you get guys from all over the place and everybody has their own little story. But you're coming from a place where it, it's its a completely different world, I'm assuming, once you actually start to have to learn about travel and and what it's like to be a teammate at that level and sort of to grow up. And, and I'm sure you probably took on some family responsibilities once, once you started playing as well.
0: Well, yeah. Well, it all started when, when I was going to sign my contract. And I had a, 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 a couple teams off me more money than the Detroit. And, but my dad said, no, uh, you won't get a chance to play for them. You'll sit on a bench for two years. And uh, he said, with Detroit, I'll get a chance to play. And so, of course, when I graduated high school, the scouts lined up outside of my house, row house in Baltimore. And and my dad had promised that he would let uh, Ed Catalinas, the scout for the Tigers, come in uh, last, be the last one in because they were very close. They used to come to all the games. My dad would sit next to him and and talk to him all the time. So uh, anyhow, that's what happened. And he came in and made me an offer. He gave, offered me $15,000 and, uh, and my dad said, what well, that's, that's who you're going to play for. I said, well, dad, the other team offered me 50 and you're going to get all the money. And he said, don't worry about me. You you want to play baseball and you don't want to sit on the bench and watch it. So mm-hmm. that's why I play, I signed with Detroit and, uh, and mm-hmm. it certainly worked out great for me because, uh, I did get a chance to play and, uh, I, I was able to play well enough to be on a regular team, and then and then uh, I got a chance to, you know, uh, get a chance to play as a regular, and I did well.
1: The evolution as the Tigers started to get better, could you sense? And, you know, look, it's a, it's a fairly long time coming uh, to get to the mid-60s to a little bit after that to, to be a World Series-type team. What's it like to actually realize now we're going to be in contention? You know, we're a team that now in the 60s, we can go do things that maybe this team hadn't done in a while.
0: Yeah, well, that's that's for sure, because uh, a lot of the players that came up in 68 were all in the minor leagues together, and uh, it must have been about six or seven or eight of them that uh, joined the team at the very uh, same time. And uh, I knew that uh, these guys were all young and and good players, and uh, we had a couple of uh, veteran players on the team that, you know, uh, myself and norm cash and a couple other guys and uh so it it worked out great but you know the one thing people don't realize one or two players don't win a world series you got to have 25 35 guys that work together pull together and and play together to to uh to be a champion and that's what we did in 68 uh we had so many players that did Great jobs. The guys that came off the bench didn't play maybe once every two weeks, but they also did great jobs for us. And, uh, of course, we had Denny McClain winning 31 games and Mickey Lolich and Earl Wilson. And then we had Willie Horton and Norm Cash, Bill Freehand, and go on and on and on. Guys that were really, really good players.
1: I'll ask you about the World Series in particular in one second, but I do want to find eight, 18 All-Star games. We had Brooks Robinson on the show uh, and I think he said he was one fifteen and one, and it was it was not pleasant at times. Um, you know, you were part of some of those American league teams as well. It's you know he actually mentioned the integration of the African American player in the national league a little bit sooner certainly helped. He thought there was more talent in the national league but but everybody you know talks about how fiery those all star games were how you know how important it was to actually represent whatever league you were playing for at that point.
0: oh, absolutely. I mean the all star game was uh was was you know really to show your skills and and uh it was the american league against the national league and brooks was right the national league was killing us and uh but uh no i i took it very seriously uh uh fortunately i've always been a player who uh when when the pressure is on i seemed like i was able to play pretty well mm-hmm. i always uh uh, I hit well over in eighteen all star games I hit over three hundred, so facing the best uh best pitchers in baseball and uh but I took it very seriously.
1: The Tigers all uh excuse me, old timers games or ha were you ever in a building when the Yankees during an old timers game? Was it pretty amazing? I, I'm sure you'd been around the generation before you, the generation and a half before you. Was that always sort of thrilling to to watch the players from the thirties, twenties, thirties? 40s. No, I mean,
0: I never did watch, uh, never did get a chance to watch the, the all star game of uh, guys way back in those days. No, that, I mean, the old timers games. Very...
1: Old timers games when they actually had, did, did the Tigers do Old timers day? And were you ever in a building? No, somebody... we
0: did, no, we didn't have an old timers game at, in Detroit, but uh, I was able to watch some of the Yankees' uh, old timers game. And, uh, and uh, the, of course, they always put on a great show. Yeah. Uh, I don't know whether they still have it or not, but uh, they used to always have a, 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 a old-timers games.
1: Down around Lakeland and, and when spring training came around, did you have a chance to see, was, were any of the players from, from the generation before around spring training or ever have an opportunity to meet any of the, the people that you'd only heard about?
0: Oh, sure, absolutely. I, you know, I had a chance to talk with Stan Usual and uh, have my picture taken with him. <laughs> on a couple of occasions and uh, I was always pretty friendly with Ted Williams and uh, when I was an analyst on the, uh, on the mm-hmm. Tiger broadcast uh, he was in spring training and our producer said would you go down and ask the, Mr. Williams if he'd do a 15 minute <laughs> pregame show and I, I said oh I don't want to ask Mr. Williams to do that so anyhow I did and, and 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 you know I wasn't the type of guy that could ask questions and I says, Ted, if I ask you a question about hitting, just go on and on. And I asked him one question, and he answered for fifteen minutes. And <laughs> he everybody talked about hitting for yeah, fifteen every, minutes. everybody
1: got what they wanted at that point.
0: <laughs> right. Uh-huh. So, j- just
1: real quick, the '68 World Series because the social issues, what was going on in America? I mean, it, it really is talked about that that you know what was going on in Detroit in particular. And I've spoken to Willie Horton and a few other teammates of yours, and. And it really was not only what the city needed, but but there was a couple of moments where, you know, this was going right uh, outside, right outside the ballpark.
0: Yeah, well, that was in '67. We had the riots here in Detroit, and uh, and it was devastating. I mean, for miles and miles, a uh, it was it was really really bad down down in Detroit itself, and. Uh, uh, but Willie Willie did a great job. Vicky Lowland did a great job. Uh, and a lot of the people, and I don't know whether it's true or not, but a lot of people said because of our start in 1968, mm-hmm. it sort of pulled a lot of everybody together because they all had something to pull for. And they, they, they seem to think that by us winning in 68, it sort of pulled the city together again.
1: Well, you know, sports has been known to do that, and – you know, that idea of rally around it, maybe we put down our differences for a little bit, and that certainly 68 turned out to be a payoff-type year. Can, what, if you look back on your career without that 68 championship, the good news is you don't have to. You're a world champion, but you know Ted Williams, Ernie Banks. There have been great players who never tasted that ultimate success. Can I ask what what it means and what the difference might be in a career that, that was hard-fought, started very young, ended a little bit later? You, you did your time without that title do you think it would have felt empty
0: i think it would have been you know most of the time when, when when you're young you're trying to establish yourself make a living for your family but then once you get established this is the one thing you want to do is uh, uh, get a chance to play in the big game and and if you're lucky to you become a world champion but to to get into the world series. So that's, that's what everybody, once you get established is that's what you want to do. You want to, you want to play in the world series. And uh, we were fortunate enough to, uh, to battle back and beat the St. Louis Cardinals and uh, become world champions. And for one year you could go around and say, we were the best. We were the best in baseball.
1: And they can't take it away from you like that. That's the irrefutable thing. You can, you can tell me, well, it was this team that had this bad locker. or now for that injury. But when you're a champion, you know, they, they can't take it away from you. That's, that's set in stone.
0: That's right. That's, that's the one thing you can always say that at least, at least uh, one year we were, we were the best in baseball. And, uh, and that's exactly the, the way we felt. Uh, and I, I'll never forget all my teammates that, that, uh, I played with and, uh, how how we battled, how they battled every day when they came to the ballpark, and they had one goal in mind—that was become world champions. And I think the reason why it really helped us we we got beat in '67 last day of the season, and uh, I think I think everybody came to spring training in '68 with one goal in mind because I think everybody said, you know, we were good enough to win in '67, but we didn't do it. And uh, I think everybody had in their in their mind, uh, we're going to do it in, in uh, '68. So it didn't matter uh, what name you had on your back. Everybody was playing for the the uh, name on the front of the, the jersey.
1: The countdown to 3,000 hits. I, I don't know. If, I'm assuming you thought it was going to happen. You knew that the hits would probably come as long as you stayed healthy. Was there an adrenaline? Was there a nervousness? Was did you uh, appreciate historically? what that number as you approached it was and how you'd be talked about forever?
0: Well, yeah, I knew how important the 3,000 hits was because uh, there wasn't that many players who have ever done it in, in baseball. and uh, So um, I, I knew that uh, it would be important for me in my career. Uh, certainly, I didn't know whether or not that meant I would go into the Hall of Fame or not, but uh, but it was, it was something that, I knew that if I got three thousand hits it had only been uh what twelve other players ever ever to do that back then. And uh I knew that my name would be mentioned in, in that category, but uh uh but you know, I I was a guy that I played twenty two years but I I was on a disabled list for three years, yeah. four years. Four uh six weeks, four weeks, five weeks and back in those days, when you got off the disabled list, you were right back in the lineup. You didn't go back and rehab and, and get some, some battings in the minor leagues. But as soon as you got off the disabled list, you were back in the lineup. And then that, uh, that that sort of hurts you a while because it takes you it takes you for a while to get your timing back.
1: Well, you hit over 309 times. And, I mean, I know all the numbers, 3,007 hits. Uh, 399 home runs, which I'm sure is talked about a lot. I don't know if you ever had one in a rainout. I don't know how many times guys oh, went over the wall.
0: <laughs> yeah, I had a couple of rained out. So, <laughs>
1: Do you remember any pulled back from the other side of the wall?
0: Uh, no, I, I, I don't remember those, but uh, I do remember a couple games being rained out where I had hit home runs, but you know, I, I wasn't a home run hitter, and uh, everybody brings it up. How come I they go back and play another year? And I said, "Hey, I knew my my I, I was failing. I wasn't the player I was in the past. I didn't want to go out and embarrass myself. I wanted the people to remember me as a, a pretty good player, and, and not to go out and embarrass myself."
1: It's so interesting you say that because I know in in 1974 you get to 3,000 hits, and and you announce your retirement after the last game. What is it like to know that? You're not twenty four anymore. You're not twenty five anymore. Um you know, maybe you have a better mind. Look, every every athlete I've ever spoken to says, Man, if I knew it at twenty five what I knew at thirty five, I would have been a, a hell of a player. But but there is a physicality to the game that you know. You're the first one to know. I've always said you don't have to tell an athlete, an athlete's the first one to know.
0: Yeah, well, you know, it it's uh the more you play and the the older you get, you, you, you're able to slow the game down and, uh, you, you're able to think under pressure and, and know what to expect, uh, and know how to handle a lot of different situations. Uh, uh, that's one thing I try to teach the players today that, uh, you know, we didn't have scouts, uh, before telling us how to pitch guys and how and and so on and so forth you know we had to ask the teammates have you faced this guy before what's he throw what's he throw when he's in a jam does he like what's his best pitch now you get reports on everybody what he throws how many times he throws a fastball how many times he throws a slider uh so back in those days you, you you learn by experience and uh you you knew yourself. You knew what was your strength, what was your weakness, and how they were going to try to pitch you, Partic- particularly when the game's on the line or when there's uh, men in scoring position.
1: Now, you get a double off Dave McNally, and I know the game's a little bit different now. There's a lot more pomp and circumstance. Guys steal a base in a 6-1 game, and they want the world to know that they just stole a base in a 6-1 game. But was it a tip of the cap? I'm, I'm assuming... By the way, was that on the road or was that at home, the 3,000th? That
0: was... That was in Baltimore, my hometown.
1: Wow. That's even, can I ask the. the... Well,
0: I had, uh, I had asked our general manager if he wanted me to hold off and get, get it in Detroit. And he said, no, you get it whenever you, whenever you can, because I thought maybe by my coming back to Detroit, they might draw a big crowd. Mm -hmm. But, uh, and uh, he said, no, you go get it whenever you can. And fortunately it was in Baltimore and my, my family was able to be there, and a lot of my teammates in high school and and, and amateur ball were able to be at the game. And, uh, and and I got a base hit off of Dave McNally, who was left-handed, which I had no trouble with left-handers. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't see many left-handers back in those days. No, you did
1: not. Um, memorabilia, if I walked into your house, would I know that you were Al Kaline who played for the Detroit Tigers? Or, or, I don't know if the 3,000 hit ball, or is there anything that was important enough for you? To actually hold on to.
0: Well, yeah, I have some uh, autographed baseballs, uh, and uh, mostly with outfielders. And uh, I have, I think, the the greatest collection in my mind of the, the greatest outfielders I ever played with and against. You know, I'm talking about Williams and. Mm-hmm and DiMaggio and Musial and uh, Aaron and Mays, who Mays is who I thought was the greatest player I ever played against or, uh, or saw. And I still think that. I don't care what they say about other players today. I know they're great, but he was the best player I ever played against. And uh, so, uh, you know, I, I don't have a lot of things on display. Uh, so, but I do have uh, uh, a collection of baseballs and uh, and some other, I had a couple of gold, gold gloves, you know, I won 10 of them, and you know, that's the other thing my first gold glove after after being a couple of years in the league, I was selected along with Willie Mays as the greatest outfielder in the big leagues and uh, so that was, uh, to me that was a a huge honor to be in the same outfield as Willie Mays. And uh, and uh, so then then after that, they started going to America League and National League. But back in that day, uh, it was a gold glove for the best yep. outfielder in baseball.
1: Yeah. Well, you earned it. And I've heard people, you know, talk about your ability to not only go get it, but certainly to throw the all-around outfielder. I, I just want to finish up with the Hall of Fame because it is interesting you mentioned some of those players that you admired, the outfielders. Uh, the phone call that said you were going to go to the Hall of Fame, and then, uh, you know, you know it's speech time and, and you, you want to get that as right as possible because it sort of lives forever. But I've had all the guys here in Atlanta tell me it's the year after that you get a chance to relax and that Sunday night dinner with just the Hall of Famers and you take a deep breath and you don't really do it the year you get inducted. I don't know if that was your situation as well as the guys who have given me that story, but the next year is the year they seem to enjoy it more.
0: Oh, absolutely when you go back after the after you were elected that's, that's that's when you have a lot of fun. You can relax and you can go out and uh and and go downstairs and have dinner with other hall of famers and uh but the, the year you're inducted you have your family there, you have all your great, greatest friends, your mm-hmm. coaches that help you and teammates that and uh you have to spend a lot of time and of course then you got to be thinking about your speech and and things like that and uh but uh the one thing i i said in my speech was my mom uh, cuz i always wanted i told my mom i said you want me to go out and get a job and help you out she she said no she said you you'll have to work once you graduate you have to work for a living and and part of my speech was mom i didn't have to work i hmm. played baseball that's
1: that's perfect <laughs> That's and look the fact that your dad had the foresight to say it's not about the money now it's about your ability to go show what you can do and that other stuff will take especially coming from a family that didn't have it you know there, there's a wit to that there's a um, an intelligence to that that doesn't get measured by you know how many grades you went through or where you graduated from there's just that's a life thing that's somebody caring for their for their child at that point as well
0: that's uh, you're absolutely right because. Uh, he, uh, he said, you know, uh, if you're any good, the money will be there. Mm-hmm. And he says, what you have to do is you want to play, you don't want to watch and, uh, you'll get a chance to play. He, uh, he asked the scout, uh, at Catalinas, our scout, he says, who was your best minor league player? And, 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 uh, at that time it was a guy named Bill Tuttle. And he asked, he asked, he said, well, what did he hit in Buffalo? He said, he, he hit about 280. He said, my, and get this, this is all fun and jokes. <laughs> he says, well, my son can hit 280. I said, Dad, you're talking about the major leagues now. <laughs> but well, anyhow. Yeah, you had confidence. He was, Look,
1: uh, he had confidence in you.
0: Well, I know. Yeah, he was he was great. Him him and his uh, his brothers who had to drive me every place I went because, again, I lived in the almost in the inner city, and I didn't have a way to get to all these ballparks to where you had to drive a long ways to get to them.
1: Uh, Al, just that night before Hall of Fame dinner is so famous that nobody even knows what gets said. I guess Stan might get up, and and certain guys over the years have maybe commanded the room a little bit more. But have you found yourself where there are guys, you know, you get in 1980. You've done this for a long time now, and good for you on that. And I know, unfortunately, you've lost teammates and you've lost Hall of Fame members, and, and, you know, speaking of – Duke Snyder years ago when he was still with us, obviously, and and Phil Rizzuto, you know, they both brought up the idea that the one thing that sort of, I don't know if it bothers them, I know you stay active with the Tigers and you're active around baseball, but but a few of the the gentlemen I've spoken to over the years said, you know, the one thing that does hit them every once in a while is you can't pick up the phone and call somebody or you won't see somebody at the Hall of Fame or you won't see somebody at, at an event that you had seen them at is... Do you sort of have that at times where you just go, you know, a lot of the people you played with and against are, are not here?
0: Oh yeah, oh yeah. You're always uh, surprised, and, and you, you don't, you don't, you look forward to seeing the uh, guys that you make friends with, uh, the Hall of Famers, and and sometimes when they don't show up, you worry about them and you call them and say, "How come you're not here?" And I know one, you know, last year I missed it because I had knee surgery. And I got a call uh, on Sunday night. I got a call from Johnny Bench <laughs> at dinner. He says, "Where are you?" I said, "Well, I have a uh, I had knee surgery and I couldn't make it." He says, "Well, we worry about you. We we were concerned that there might be something wrong." And uh, but uh, <laughs> but that made me feel really good that he says uh, he tells all the young guys that when I'm when I'm there, he says here's, here's the guy you have to hang around with. So. Uh, uh, for for about six or seven or eight years, the commissioner always wanted me to sit next to sit at his table. And uh, I don't know why, but I I guess he knew that I wasn't controversial and yeah. I wouldn't be asking tough questions. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, and I've asked a few people this and, and we'll finish up with it. Have you ever, um, I don't know if dreaming is the right thing, but do you ever... Have you ever dreamt that you were young again and, and you're playing? Because it's really interesting because I have asked a bunch of players or a bunch of gentlemen that, that question, and it, there really seems to be no in-between. I've had guys tell me that vividly, they they absolutely vividly dream about whatever year it might have been or whatever event it might have been, a World Series or, or just a game that maybe mattered or didn't matter. And then there are other guys who say, no, it's never really happened to them. Can, can I ask what camp you fall into?
0: Oh, no, I fall into sometimes I'm uh... – uh, jumping around in bed and uh swinging and missing and striking out and getting mad and uh <laughs> but uh, uh though i i still in fact when i 'm at the ball game i'm i'm sitting up there with, along with Alavilla and uh all you know assistant general manager uh and and uh, uh i 'm sitting up there and i'm thinking about being at the plate oh I know what he's going to throw me now. I know I know what pitch he's going to throw, so I, I'm still sitting up there thinking about I'm I'm still active, and I got to think about what they're going to pitch me.
1: <laughs> good, for, good for you, by the way, because I I I've all, always contended that being active is it beats the hell out of the alternative. And the fact that you're doing work with the Tigers, I'm sure, has kept you feeling young.
0: Oh, I tell you what, I'm 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 so appreciative of the fact I can't I can't go out on the field and work with the guys like I used to years ago, but now I'm mostly. Uh, I talk to them and I encourage them, and I make suggestions to them. And I, in fact, I, 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 when I talk to them, I says, "Guys, I hope I don't intimidate you guys because I don't try to act like I'm, I'm a big shot or anything like that." I says, "But if you have any questions and you think I might be able to help you, don't, don't hesitate to uh, ask me a question or uh, what, what, what I would what. I would do in that situation. I says, I'm here to help you, and if I can help any one of you guys to have a, a good career in baseball, that's what I'm here for. Well,
1: that's that's like a master's degree degree course in baseball. And and by the way, good for you for offering it up. I hope I hope some of these young guys are smart enough to take you up on it.
0: Well, they have been. I, I had a great spring. I, I spent a lot of time with Nick Castellanos and uh, Jacoby Jones and. Uh, so, and, and all the outfielders, you know, I, I just, I pat him on the back and I said, look, uh, you know, this game's a, a game of failure. You're going to fail more times than you you're successful. Even the, the greatest players in the world, the Willie Mays, the damn usuals and the Ted Williams, they failed more times than they, they were successful. So you have to forget about it and come out every day and say, I'll get them the next time and uh, until the season runs out, and then get ready for the following year.
1: Yeah, and, and the simplicity of the game, look, we, you know more than anybody, you're in the front office area, but I've spoken to general managers and players, and whether the word is analytics or whatever the heck you want to call it on a given day, the game really does come down to a, again, you can do whatever you want with numbers. You can make them sing and dance, and if you put enough pieces of paper in front of somebody, I think you can clog them up. I just happen to believe that I. My whole thing is: you can give me all the numbers you want until you give me a guy's pulse or his heart rate at a big moment. Does he want the big at bat? Does that guy want to actually have the ball in his hand as a pitcher? Do you as an outfielder want the ball hit to you. Until you measure heart rate or pulse rate, I got to tell you, a lot of the other numbers to me are just a little bit silly. It's a little bit overkill.
0: Yeah, I. I you know, I, I. I think they do a great job, but I also feel the way you do too. You have to really get to know the players how they react right. under pressure uh you know are they are they really into the game or now are they worried about oh if i fail they're going to send me back to the minor leagues and and, and stuff like that but uh but you know i think the analytic guys do a good job but i also think it's it's a, a lot of what you see and 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 what you watch and uh but again baseball is a lot, a lot about numbers and, and everything like that. So uh, I think it's still a great game. The players are great. Yeah. Uh, uh, and I really enjoy watching these guys play.
1: Let, Ernie Harwell, I have to ask, you actually did games. Um, you. It's so funny that, you know, the guys who played for the Dodgers really didn't hear Vin Scully do their games. Guys who played for the Tigers when they were playing really didn't hear Ernie Harwell do their games. Uh, can I just ask about your relationship with Ernie? Because it really is interesting when you talk to guys who have played in front of guys who they respect, who knew the game, who are actually calling the game.
0: Yeah, well, Ernie Harwell is one of the great people who has ever lived, uh, on and off the field, and uh, and the players would be very upset if Ernie didn't come around and talk to him. And you know, a lot of times when like writers and broadcasters and all come around them, they say, "Oh no." they going to take up my time but they all welcome the fact that Ernie Harwell mm-hmm. would come around and say hi to him and talk to him and uh, I never forget the umpires because Ernie would always go down to the umpires room and and spend time with all the umpires and uh uh but he he was a, a great man a great guy to work with he had great stories and how he told them they were they were fantastic yeah. and and one one couple of the things I, I most enjoyed most is that we we took a, a cruise my wife and I and Ernie and his wife and to sit there and listen to Ernie talk and tell the stories at dinner time it was just an amazing couple of days just to be there with him when he could tell all the stories about being in the marines and uh, and in the minor leagues and and so on and so forth but again I, I I was very, very lucky to be, get a chance to work with Ernie Harwell. And you
1: actually saw a Tigers team in the uh, in the mid to early '80s that that took care of business as well, which I'm sure that had to be thrilling to watch the Tigers actually achieve that again.
0: Oh, absolutely! '84, yeah, it was. Uh, that was a wonderful team. They got off to a, I think, a 35 and five start, mm-hmm. something like that. Yep. And now, of course, we got we got a couple players going into the Hall of Fame this year, Alan Trammell and Jack Morris, and uh, it's going to be a a wonderful time for Tiger fans to be up in Cooperstown, and I'm looking forward to it to really see two former Tigers uh, go into the Hall of Fame.
1: Well, I can tell you, you will not remember this, when Tom Glavin and Greg Maddox and Bobby Cox got in, we had a chance to talk for a few minutes, uh, and I've never heard anybody utter a word other than class more than any other word uh, about you, Mr. Kaline, and, and believe me, it, you can be a guy who's associated with a team, but really big picture when you're a Hall of Famer, uh, when you're an 18-time All-Star, you're a representative of all the baseball, and, boy, you've really done that well uh, and continue to do that well. So congratulations not only on the career, but certainly being respected the way that you have
0: been. Well, thank you very much. I was raised properly by a great mother and father who said that uh, you know, don't try to think you're better than anybody else. Go out there and play the game and don't show anybody up and just try to do your job the best you can.
1: Well, mission accomplished. Hall of Famer Al Kaline, and as we said, certainly a great ambassador for the game still to this day. Mr. Kaline, I really appreciate the time. This was fantastic, and, and I, I look forward to hopefully seeing you in not-too-distant future, certainly down in Lakeland again next year.
0: Well, I'm, I'm looking forward to it, too. Uh, hopefully, uh, I will be, be able to get down there again.
1: Well, I'm sure you will. Listen, Al, thanks very much.
0: Thank you very much. Have bye a bye. great day. Thanks. Bye. Hi there, everybody. I'm Mark Scott. Today on Home Run Derby, Henry Aaron, winner of our last contest, will meet one of the great sluggers of the American League, Al Kaline. Let's meet them, shall we? Come on in, fellas. There she goes. Don't about it. On. The main thing you want to be is a world champion. I never. Line. Second hit of the inning, he now is driven in three runs of this alone. I will never forget 1968 because we were world champions. McComber pops up. Detroit, the new world champion. It's a happy bunch of Tigers. When I was a youngster, life was a baseball game. There was nothing more exciting than a good old game of ball. I played a lot of ball games growing up in Baltimore, every day from spring to fall. I never would have had that chance to prepare for a career every boy dreams of. Without the love and hard work of two people, my mom and dad,